Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's run of the week, and day seven of camp is here, and the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 261. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I catch up with both Ben Fennell and Chris McPherson to talk about the Eagles' seventh day of practice. Eagles kicked things off a week ago today as we record this. It's Monday afternoon. Well, we had our seventh practice today. A lot to talk about, and we will hit it on all here with Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell. You can always check out our practice notes as well. Uh, Chris and I teamed up to give you a little bit of a sense of what we saw out on the practice field. You can go see that on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and also check out the uh, practice streams with myself, Dave Spadaro, uh, over on the Eagles Facebook page, the YouTube page, the Twitter page. You can go on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app. If you download the app, you can check out all the different camera angles that we've got uh, during practice over the first like 20 to 30 minutes. So you can go make sure you go check that out on the Eagles official mobile app. All right. That being said, let's dive into our chat now. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right. Well, back for another edition here of the Eagle Line of Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Ben Fennell, Chris McPherson. Guys, uh, we got another day of practice here. To kind of talk through, uh, we've got some one-on-ones early on. We got some team stuff we're going to talk about here at the end. But CMac, we'll come to you first. With all the guys going in and out of the lineup, we figured, and CMac brought this up uh, this morning. Just kind of go position by position. We can kind of react as we go. So CMac, no changes at quarterback with injuries or guys stepping in and out. But we can let you uh, jump off here with uh, injuries, guys that didn't practice, and what that meant for the death chart. It was crazy because I, I first walked into the pit at the Novacare Complex. I see you, Fran, and I'm like. I just like rambled for the first like minute and a half of the podcast, just like with all these like laundry list of names of like guys who are, who are out, unfortunately due to illness, some injury. So I said, why don't we just do position by position? Uh, you mentioned quarterback, nothing there running back. The only player out miles Sanders, Boston Scott was back. He was back yesterday, but he did team drills today. Corey Clement had an illness. He was back and did team drills today. So they were leading the way there. Whatever that illness is, the guys are out one day and then they come back the next day. So that's, it, that's a good thing. It's to something say. else. But I think, again, it just shows how important it is that guys take precaution when it comes to COVID because we're seeing if something like that can rapidly get through the building with all the precautions, it's like you don't want a situation like the scare that teams had on Sunday where all these false positives came through and all of a sudden, you don't know who's going to be out there on the practice field. So yep. going to wide receiver, John Hightower still out with an illness. Rob Davis has an injury. So pretty much you have that position group pretty well in place there. Tight end, again, Josh Perkins out indefinitely uh, with the upper body injury. Uh, Noah Tungiai, he left late in practice. So he went down hard after, uh, after making a catch in that final team drill, walked off with a trainer, didn't come back. Don't know if there's anything to that there. The position group that really, I guess, is under the microscope when it comes to injuries, in my estimation at least, is the offensive line because your projected starting tackles, both Andre Dillard on the left side, Lane Johnson on the right side, 
out due to injury. They were on the field. They were on the stationary bikes. Uh, but you had Jordan Maialata taking the left team, uh, left tackle, first team reps, I should say. And then you had Matt Pryor over at the right tackle position. Which is interesting because the last time we saw this, which was the very early part of camp, it might have been the first day of camp, Andre Dillard did not practice. And so what we saw was Matt Pryor at left tackle. And we said, because Jason Peters uh, was not in it as well, we saw Nate Herbig at right guard. So it's just been one of the things that's been interesting is just seeing these guys prove their versatility, kind of mix and match guys, different combinations. We know how it can be along the offensive line. You kind of have to do that at some time. It's very rare that you get through an entire season with all five guys completely healthy. It's more often than not that you're going to have to play a game without one or two starters, maybe potentially more. So the Eagles certainly have had to try and figure out, have to to tinker a little bit with different combinations of guys up front. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, D-line. Vinny Curry back from an illness. Hassan Ridgeway back from an illness as well. Only guys that are out, Javon Hargrave still sideline, but at least he was watching practice from the sidelines, which was good to see. Derek Barnett still sidelined. Uh, Anthony Rush, he has the illness. Jannard Avery, he left, uh, I think, also during that final team drill as well. He walked off with trainers, so it would be interesting to keep an eye on that. Linebackers, good to go, nothing there. Defensive back, Sidney Jones, once again, sidelined. Defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz asked, look, we're less than three weeks from the regular season opener. What's the deal with, with Sidney Jones? What do you need to see? And coach basically said that the, the cliche, you can coach the guys that are there, but the time, the clock is ticking. You know, we're getting close to week one. What's going on there? So, Well, just to spin that collectively, up. C-Mac, I guess a lot of names there. Fran, C-Mac, who is hurting themselves the most? by their lack of availability. You just mentioned Sidney Jones not being able to be out there, obviously, you know, kind of third, fourth corner on the pecking chart. Anybody else who's, you know, we know Miles Sanders is the guy. We know, you know, what some of these other guys provide. Hargrave, big dollar free agent, Derek Barnett, first round pick. Whose lack of availability and maybe the injury bug, which is hurting their potential development and maybe not getting the looks that they need to if they're on the, the roster fringe? To me, it's a, every rep is important for Andre Dillard, right? So the sooner that he's able to get back out there, uh, the better. You know, he, he had that injury the very early. I mentioned earlier, you know, he missed the first day of practice, I believe. So, but of course, this is going to be the case. As soon as he's ready, he's going to be out there. But the sooner, the better, just to continue to get him those reps, not just from a physical standpoint, but also from a mental standpoint, working alongside Isaac Samalo, uh, you know, working with Carson Wentz, working with the rest of the starting unit. Uh, that's going to be very important for him moving forward, for sure. But at least I will say it's good that Maialata is back in there because he opened the camp on the COVID list, took some time to get reacclimated. It's good to see him get that action because we're not going to see a preseason. He's had no regular season game experience. Can he be potentially the swing tackle for the team this season? And that's kind of the full picture there, Fran, is when one guy's down, that's another guy's opportunity. So for us as analysts, you know, we can be negative on the guy that's not there, but it's also a chance for somebody that maybe didn't get that shot the previous week or the previous day. So a lot of ways to kind of talk about this narrative. Yeah, I thought – Yeah, I look at us on Ridgeway. Sure. I was just – you know, Hassan Ridgeway, you guys guys taking advantage of the opportunity. Ridgeway, you know – 
of the surprise players of camp, I guess you could say, Fran, uh, is a guy who's taken, taken advantage of the uh, additional reps. Yeah, and then when you look at Mylotta, like the first few days when he got back onto the field after being on the COVID list, a little bit up and down, but I think he's strung together a couple of nice days here. You know, I thought he had a good day today. Uh, I thought he looked solid yesterday. We talked about that. So it's been good to kind of see him string a couple of uh, performances together. That's important for him uh, moving into the, to this regular season. As you mentioned, C-Mac has never played in a regular season game. We've only seen him in preseason action. So uh, big for him for sure moving forward. All right, so every single day, 10.30 Eastern, I do my practice stream with Dave Spadaro. So we, do, we finish up the practice stream. We leave the studio. We walk outside. They are doing one-on-ones right out of the gate. So, uh, C-Mac, you went over and watched the wide receiver DB one-on-ones. I stayed put and I watched the O-line, D-line one-on-ones. We already have been talking about this offensive line. So, I'll just go, I'll go right in. My takeaways here. First off, I thought uh, Matt Pryor had two reps at the right tackle spot. Looked good in both. He lined up against Brandon Graham on the first one. BG tried to beat him with a little bit of an outside move. Tried to win with some speed. And Pryor did a nice job locking that up. And then a couple minutes later, he went up against Sharif Miller. Strong punch on the second rep, kind of shocked the second-year kid, sent him off balance. So uh, two good reps from Matt Pryor. You go to the other side of tackle, Jordan Mailata, two good reps as well. First, uh, he went with Josh Sweat. Sweat, who typically has been a little bit of a power rusher. I kind of expected, oh, let's see if he tries to go inside pad against Mailata, see if he can try and win with an inside move. No, he tries to change things up. He goes with an outside move as well. Mailata runs the hoop with him, looked really good doing it. So that was the first rep for Mailata. Second rep, he goes up against Matt Leo. He took Matt Leo to the ground. Matt Leo tried to win with speed, high side, and he just kind of rode him out of the picture. It was a really nice job by Jordan Mailata. More good stuff from Jack Driscoll, too, guys. Uh, a couple of really good reps against Jannard Avery. Driscoll was lined up at right tackle today for a little bit, so he was a right tackle today. He was a right guard yesterday. Again, just proving that versatility. I thought he had some really good reps against Jannard Avery. A couple of speed rushes. Driscoll locked both of them down. Uh, you know, Shut the door on Avery a couple of times. So, you know, that really Matt Leo's a big kid, friend. He's like yeah. 6'7", 290. He's a good-looking kid. He definitely looks the part, especially when he's battling against size. guys like Malata, just two Goliath you know, human beings, very, very big players. The first day, he lined up, and I was like, who who is that guy? Like, it's just like he was lined up, and I was like, who, who is this guy? And I had to look, and it, it, was, it kind of threw me off because if you go on to the roster, he's all the way down at the bottom because he's the special, special exemption as an international player. And – I was like, I was kind of taken aback. He's still a raw player. He's got, he has a lot of development to do. But man, like in terms of like coming off the bus, impressive. He's wearing like a '60s number two. Kind of reminds yeah. me a little bit. Who was the uh, D lineman that we converted to the offensive line a couple years ago? Offensive Not Brandon Bear. Taylor Hart. Yeah, it's Hart. Taylor yeah. Hart. Okay. I was going. I thought you were going to go with yeah, the Alejandro Villanueva. He just has that kind of look to him, being tall, broad. He's already got the 60s number. You know, maybe we'll just flip him to the other side of the line. (laughs) He's a good-looking kid. So, no, it was was really good to be able to see Jack Driscoll uh, get a couple of nice reps. Guys, he's he's put together a nice camp. It hasn't all been uh, rainbows and sunshine and butterflies, but he's had a good camp. He's he's done a nice job. Uh, And his teammates, especially on the defensive line, seem to have a lot of respect for him as well. And, Uh, Fran, quick question for you. I guess there's been so much focus on the offensive line. Where has been the functional use of Jason Peters been throughout most of camp? Is he strictly a through-and-through through right guard in 2020, or is he still doing some cross-training with the previous left tackle position that he held down for, you know, 20 years? Right guard only. Yeah, he's only been at right guard. He hasn't taken any reps in one-on-ones, which is typical Jason Peters, but team drills, when he's out there, he's, he's, with, he's at right guard. So that's my expectation here moving forward. C-Mac, 
while I was watching the O-line D-line, you were watching the wide receiver DBs. Uh, what did you see from that trail? couple highlights here. Rasul Douglas had a nice rep against Jalen Rager. I know Rasul Douglas, you know, he's very feisty. He's physical, great in short area. Tends to struggle with, with speed receiver, but did a great job of locking down number 18, the rookie. Quez Watkins, and going back to the rookie receivers here, threw a nice double move on Nikel Roby Coleman. Roby Coleman, who I was praising, has been completely sticky throughout camp, but the rookie got the better of him with a nice little double move. Carson Wentz finding him there. And then a little great back-to-back here. Jalen Hurts going to the new receiver, uh, Travis Fulgham, okay, going on a touch fade, great anticipation, working against Will Parks, dropped it in there deep down the field, nice little dime there. Phenomenal touch, phenomenal grab, despite good coverage from Parks. Mm-hmm. Marquand Emanuel was working with Parks afterwards on just giving himself some more space, making sure it's important to be patient. Good coaching point there, but still, great, great touch throw from Jalen Hurt. Next rep, Carson Wentz takes it and says, I'm going to do you one better, and then goes to the rookie Rager deep down the right sideline, beats Darius Slay. Again, the, Slay had good coverage, but the ball placement was absolutely perfect right on the back shoulder there. We was able to get the long, long game. So it's almost like, you know, the rookie says, all right, I got a nice little touch pass here. And the vet comes back, be like, hold on, young man, hold on, young man. So uh, those were the highlights there from the uh, wide receiver DB one-on-ones. It's funny. I did note, I did see the Rager one because, you know, you mentioned Marco Emanuel was coaching up Will Parks on the sideline. The throw to ja- uh, to uh, to Rager was right in that same area, so everybody on the side of the media was like, "Oh, kind of like, hey, yo, heads up, guys, heads up, ball's coming your way." And so I turned to go look at what's happening, and I saw I saw the catch. Uh, really great throw, right? Great spot and a great catch uh, by Rager. So, um, how's the uh, presence been of Coach uh, Manuel out there? And now that we're uh, through the Corey Unlin era as defensive backs coach with the Philadelphia Eagles, Marquand Manuel took last year off actually, but yep. came from that. Atlanta, Dan Quinn, and previously the Seattle Seahawks uh, kind of system. How's he gelling with defensive backs? It seems to be like really good energy. To me, like it's been cool watching the new coaches, watching Aaron Moorhead, watching Marquand Manuel, and just watching the, you know, the, the relationship that he's you know, been kind of building uh, with those guys. He's kind of similar to Corey. You know, we've seen Corey Unlin work uh, up close now for a few years. High energy, vocal, coaching the guys up on the field, and Marquand, a lot of the same stuff. So, uh, no, he, he's been a, f- a fun coach for sure to be able to watch here. I think some uh, of the new voices are good, you know, yeah. just refreshing. Not saying they're better or worse coaches, but just getting some new voices in the building sometimes can uh, revitalize a position group. I just want to touch real quick the, the experience on that defensive staff where you have Matt Burke takes over the defensive line, has been a coordinator with the Dolphins. Yep. Ken Flagel's been a coordinator in this league. He has tons of experience in the NFL. Marco Emanuel has been a coordinator in this league. It's just the experience that's at all three levels there to help Jim Schwartz is absolutely incredible. No, it's a, it's huge. It's a great point. It's a really cool structure of that defensive staff. I failed to mention Matt Burke and he's doing a nice job with the defensive line as well. All right. So, one-on-one's end. We get our first uh, team period today. I'll go through a couple highlights real quick, and uh, you can go check out our practice notes from myself and C-Mac uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. That's going to be a little bit more thorough, I think, than uh, I'll just throw a couple plays here and there. First play of the team period, Fletcher Cox gets home for a, a quote-unquote sack of Carson Wentz. He looked like, it looked like he beat Jason Peters uh, off that right side. A couple of completions for Wentz. After that, he had a nice throw to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside on the opposite side of the field. 
That was pretty much it for the first team offense. The only other play of note, I thought Jalen Hurts worked with the second team uh, in this drill. So he got some of the reps with the twos. First two completions, he kind of escaped pressure. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned it was a blitz period, made a throw uh, to his right. So, C-Mac, I'm not sure if you saw anything else uh, from that period, but those were some of the highlights for me. You touched on, there, on everything I was going to. Uh, Duke Riley blitzed on that first one, helping create that Fletcher Cox sack Okay, there. got it. Didn't see uh, that. He, he, came, he came off the, the left side, helped with the pressure. Uh, but you mentioned already Jalen Hurts working significantly with the second-team offense just to get the reps there with that group. It's not a depth chart thing, okay? I know people are going to take that one and say, like, oh, is he now the number two? No. The last two or three days, Nate Sudfeld is taking a ton of reps with the yes. second team, so you got to mix yes. things up. Yep. So just to clarify that, to give the rookie some work, uh, but just the mobility and, and throwing on the run, I thought was very, is very consistent from what we saw from Hertz throughout the course of the day. So it's interesting that if some of it is obviously designed, some of it, you know, is obviously just because of the way that the play structure breaking down. So uh, just interesting to see the athleticism. Really, I thought from all three quarterbacks we saw throughout the course of the day today, Ben. You know, it's interesting. Fran, what's your go-to analogy for the transition from left tackle to right guard? So on that played a position for, let's just call it 15, 20 years, and I was just really thinking about, it. is this the right-handed golfer switching to left-handed? Is this someone that, you know, left-hand driving in the States, and all of a sudden, 50 years later, you go to England, you have to learn to drive on the other side and shift with that left hand? What's your go-to analogy for fans on that switch from left tackle to the other side of the line? I don't have one, but the the driving one is, is probably the one that I feel people would relate to most, you know, and that it's... Uh, it's everything is kind of natural for you with your driving on the left side and you've got your gear shift in your right hand. Like everything is, is flipped, obviously going the other way. That, that would probably be the one that's most applicable. Uh, at O-line masterminds and hearing the guys talk about having to go from left side to right side and cross training and what it does to your body. And you notice certain muscles are weaker than other ones. And it's important to be balanced in your training to make up for that lack of maybe strength on one side of your body. Really interesting perspective. And that's why that that move is challenging. And it's been, it was great to hear from Jeff Stoutland talk about even like the, the guys in that room say like, you know, Lane Johnson, you know, uh, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, all say like, yeah, if anyone can do it, it's Jason Peters in terms of uh, what he's done physically, you know, over the course of his career. So blitz period ends, they go to a team run period. So uh, heavy on run and play action. Big takeaway from here. And I said this yesterday. And again, same kind of thing applies. You take the run stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt. Obviously, it's not a live period. They're not live blocking. It's not to the ground, anything there. It just seems like the front seven has given the offense no room to work in the run game. Like, it's very few runs where there's a huge hole and it's wide open and the back can kind of fly through. It seems like the front seven is just flying around and it's just been really stout uh, overall in these sessions. But the only play I would say that, that kind of stood out, uh, Sean Bradley had a really nice tackle for loss over on the perimeter. You know, the, the team got excited. The defense all, you know, jumping up and down and stuff. It was a tackle for loss, a little bit of a perimeter play, which brings me to this question, C-Mac. You've now been out of practice two days, Sunday, Monday. Which day three rookie or undrafted yeah. free agent has stood out most to you over a couple of days. Yeah, you haven't seen John Hightower, right? He's been he's been out with the illness, but yeah. um, you know, out of the guys that you've seen, who has caught your eye most? The most, you know, you mentioned Bradley, the the play again I mentioned yesterday on the pod where he recovered the onside kick. I didn't get to see the stuff last week because it seemed like he was very much around the ball, always seems to be in the right place. Probably, I would say Quez Watkins. I would say just from the athleticism standpoint. You know, I mentioned the double move that he put on yep. on NRC. Again, 
I think Nikel Roby Cullen has been outstanding. The couple days I've seen him and reading the reports throughout the first week of camp, I'll probably have to give it to him. So I'm just trying to go through my list of, you know, some of the UDFAs not getting a ton of opportunities. You talked about Driscoll, but I think you've watched more of Driscoll and you've watched the one-on-ones, you know, where, where Driscoll's really shine. So I, I will probably go, I would probably say Quez Watkins for the late round UDFA guys who's uh, stood out the most to me. It has been great just to see those both those young receivers on day three, Hightower and Quez, both have nice camps so far, and Driscoll have nice camps. We've seen Bradley show up every day. Kayvon Wallace has made plays every day. It's, it's good to see a lot of those young guys on the bottom end of the draft certainly turn up with, with some plays here. All right, so team run period ends. They got into some situational football, and I was sitting on the sideline uh, talking to a couple of reporters and, like, trying to get a sense of, like, what are they doing? And it's one of those periods where you almost have to, like, look at the uh, – they have the, the game clock off to the side because sometimes, you know, you'll get, get a sense of down, distance, time left, and that will kind of show you, oh, this is what they're working on. What I surmised was they were doing the – it was like a four-minute drill, and then they go two-minute drill. Then they go four-minute drill, then two-minute drill. And just for uh, – just a quick clarification, I think most people know two-minute drill, you know, you're trying to score. There's, you know, 30 seconds left. It's hurry up. You're trying to not uh, spend as much time on the clock. You know, are trying to move the ball into position to be able to score. Four-minute drill is the opposite. It's where you are nursing a lead and you're trying to bleed the clock. Defense is trying to get the ball back and you're trying to sit on it, run to win. That, that's kind of the idea. So ones versus ones, you had a four-minute drill. I thought we were going to see our first fight of camp at one point. It was like the first or second play, but it got kind of cleaned up uh, relatively quickly. And then you get two-minute drill, twos versus twos. Jalen Hurts working with the second unit, uh, got the offense into field goal range. He spikes the ball and then they flip field again. So it seemed like the other thing, and I was actually talking to another reporter as well on the sideline, and he made the point at this point in practice, he goes, you know, it seems like Jalen Rager, he's caught passes from all the quarterbacks in team drills today. And I kind of, that got me kind of wondering, I wonder if in these situational periods, if guys like Rager are thinking, because I thought, I thought the same thing with Artega Whiteside. He was working with the twos and the threes and the ones throughout the course of the day. Hey, we want to get these young guys as much situational football as possible. Um, so, Jalen Hurts gets them into field goal range. Then you go four-minute drill again with the backups. Then they go back two-minute drill, ones versus ones, good versus good. Carson Wentz uh, gets the team into field goal range with a completion to Zach Ertz over the middle of the field. So, C-Mac, any other takeaways, I guess, uh, from that? It was a long it was a long session, and I was just – it was confusing at first without knowing on the sideline what exactly they were doing. But I was like, man, they're going like slow it down to speed it up, slow it down, speed it up. But that was the best I could kind of surmise from it. Just going through my notes here, at one point you get a little friendly trash talking from Fletcher Cox. You know, you were used to Deuce Staley yeah. being very loud That's at right, practice. Yep. And Deuce Staley, you know, talking trash to the defense. And today Fletcher Cox yells over, you know, Deuce, you're quiet. You're quiet. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You know, kind of like the defense, you know, doing its job and uh, not giving Deuce a whole lot to chirp about. I'm trying to think of other takeaways here. We talk a lot about with the cornerbacks, you know, one thing with Darius Slay, seeing him moving from side to side. Yeah, and he did play more right corner today, didn't he? He would, he would switch up sides. So yeah. that, that's definitely something that caught my attention in terms of it's got a trickle-down effect because it's great to have a guy who can travel, but it also means that Avante Maddox, who we pretty much have set as being the other starter, he's got to be able to play the other side there, Ben. Right. You know, the one thing I'm thinking about in these sessions is urgency, especially those young guys. I want to put them in more pressure-packed situations and less thinking and just moving. So my question to Fran is, 
who didn't get lined up properly, who was slow out of the huddle. Because you know those sessions, the rookies, sometimes there's a guy a little bit late getting lined up or maybe the snap count's not right in those sessions. And you want to feel the pressure because as that clock's ticking and everything is ramped up in that period, you want to put those players in more situations like we keep talking about each day. No joint practices, no preseason games. We have to have these types of periods uh, to kind of get their feet wet. To that point, I forget when – I think it was the oh, – when was it? It might have even been a little bit later in practice. There was one busted play where Car- – it was like one of those ones where like Carson turned to his left and he looked like he was going to throw it, but the receiver that he was going to throw it to wasn't there, so he just took off. It was one of those. I forget exactly – I, I didn't see who it was on the other side, and I forget exactly which period it was. It might have been this uh, situational period. And it happens every day, it every exactly. week. There's the, those mental lapses, and you hope to get them out on the practice field and not during the regular season. So it's all about putting them in these game-like situations, hoping to clean up the mistakes in August before you get to September, October. Great point there. Not just the players, but for the coaches. And you know, I was having a conversation on the sideline, and you look at the NFC East – Joe Judge is a first-time head coach in, in the NFL and will have no preseason action. You know, Mike McCarthy's a veteran coach, won a Super Bowl, but hasn't done it with this squad and obviously has changed some of his philosophy. Ron Rivera, obviously with Washington. Again, he's coached, coached last year, but new program, new personnel, new just trying to indoctrinate a whole new culture there. Uh, it's a huge advantage for the Eagles, but still it's trying to maximize these opportunities that not just for the players, Ben, but for the coaches to get acclimated to the situation. That's why I thought it's interesting. I was watching how Ryan Pagnetti, who's he's the assistant linebackers coach, but he also has the game management title that was added to his, his title last year, those responsibilities. And he's been the guy who's in the booth who kind of advises working with the with Al Calabi and the analytics staff to be like, okay, if it's a fourth down situation, this is the situation we should go for, we should not go for, and which is why the Eagles have been one of the more aggressive teams during Doug Pearson's tenure. It's interesting having or seeing during the train camp practices, Ryan Pagnetti standing right there with Doug Pearson to try to seem like they're trying to work that stuff out now so that when they get to September 13th against Washington, you know, they'll have that flow going, Ben. That's such a great point, C-Mac, because that's so overlooked from fans. We're so used to seeing what's on the field, but the coaches have to learn and get experience too. And we have a couple new coaches, but I really feel for some of the first-year head coaches like the Joe Judges or even some of the college coaches having to operate through this pandemic. And just thinking about guys like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss or Mike Leach at Mississippi State, and you're trying to get to know 100 kids on your team and the staff, and you're wearing a mask all day, and you know you can't see facial expressions and really just tough time for new coaches, new quarterbacks, people in new settings that go through this pandemic with all that, you know, in combination, but really good point getting the coaches up to speed with game like situations. Joe judge, he's got to know where the red flag is, how to challenge, where do you call timeouts being the main communicator on headset, not having preseason games is a huge, huge lack of a game like situation for those I don't want to say inexperienced coaches, but guys may be doing different roles in 2020. Sure. Moving on, guys. Uh, getting out of the situational period to go to another team group, another 11-on-11. And more. Get, the, my biggest takeaway from this period, more game-wrecking play from Blake Jackson. He had a pressure early on against Carson Wentz. That forced an incompletion. Then another one where he had another sack on a play-action pass. He looks healthy. Uh, he's been disruptive every single day that the pads have been on. He, he has looked awesome. Josh Sweat had a sack uh, in that period as well. but. I'll just wrap it up by saying, like, 
Malik is playing like he's got something to prove. He's been really fun to watch. I would argue he's been the most impressive player, like the guy that's just been the most disruptive on either side of the ball through the first, uh, what is it now, seven, seven days of practice. You know, I don't know what, what your guys' big takeaway from that is, but he's looked awesome, which has been great. Brand, call it, call it the last two Augusts. Of the yeah. last two training camps. He was great last summer, too, and that yeah. unfortunate injury in the first half of week one. But he looked good last summer. We were really excited to see him. So just got to stay healthy, stay out on the field, and I think we know what we're expecting with Malik Jackson. Jim Schwartz adding with Malik that he's got that rookie enthusiasm, okay, that he had the game taken away from him, realized that you're not guaranteed your, your next snap and did a lot of reflection in the past year. So uh, Jim Schwartz definitely seeing it, and he just praised not just the effort, because I know, Fran, you talked about how he's in there working on different moves, but just the length, the, the size, just the traits, the natural traits he brings to the table, now combined with the, the mental want to to try to go out there and wreak havoc time and time again. I just want to say, uh, after you had mentioned a couple sacks in that period and then yeah. heading into from the seven-on-seven seven into this team period, I feel like this defense is showing an opportunistic type of mentality in almost every session, whether getting sacks, big plays in the backfield, interceptions. Yeah, they let up a couple plays, too, like all defenses do in the NFL. There's some really impressive offensive players, but they seem very opportunistic, especially this training camp with getting their hands on passes. There's going to be a, a lot of speed on the field. It's going to be really disruptive. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, to watch this. I can't wait to watch this group, honestly, line up in week one. All right, so uh, after that team period, team goes through special teams drills. And then something I've never seen before. Can we put the brakes on special teams? I thought we saw a lot of juice coming from the defensive sideline. All right, During the special, special teams drills. You see, have guys like you mentioned, Will Parks, Jalen Mills. The guys were, were getting into it. There was one, I forget who was involved in the rep, but you hear the guys on the sideline doing a jammer drill, and they're like, put him to the ground, take him to the ground. I felt the enthusiasm probably from this almost more than any other point during practice. Duke Riley's special teams captain was taking Adrian Killens, offering some teaching points. But for what typically you would say, it's special teams, let the young guys do it. They brought, they brought the animosity. They brought the intensity to that to obviously spice it up just a little bit. So to me, one of the big things, and Dave Spadaro has brought this up on our uh, practice live streams every day over the last couple of days. He's talked with Doug Peterson about trying to, how, how do you account for not having the crowd noise? You know, not having the fans in the stands during the games this year at certain points of the season. Obviously going to different sites, you're going to have to deal without having uh, certainly the level of noise that you would normally have. And Doug responded and said, like, look, it's a challenge that we've already put to our players. Like, we've already said, like, you guys need to bring that juice. And when you look at the sideline, especially on the defensive side, uh, the offensive side as well, every day those guys on that defensive side are bringing all kinds of energy. They are chirping constantly. They are urging guys on. Uh, there are some plays that we're going to talk about here in a sec where mm-hmm. a, one guy makes a play and that whole defense is going bananas, you know, happy for that guy. So. You know, to me, like talking about guys that are trying to bring that energy, trying to replicate that, it's going to be a big challenge for all 32 teams. And defensively, these guys, these guys are, are up to that challenge for sure. So, no, I'm glad you brought that up, C-Mac. Doug blows the whistle and he says, all right, everybody take your pads off. And I'm like, oh, they're going to wrap practice. They're going to do like, you know, something silly. They're going to have like offensive linemen catch punts or something like that. No, they got two more periods. They're going to go seven on seven, 11 on 11, no pads. And, and C-Mac, I think you're over there. Doug comes comes over and, yell something over at the media basically saying like 
tell them we're, we're getting soft. Like, oh, yeah, we're just taking the pads yeah. off. We're getting soft because he saw the reporters all typing away uh, on their phones. But kind of interesting. I've never seen that before. I'm sure uh, Doug will be asked about that next time he talks. Never saw it either. Never saw it either. So, um, yeah, I, I guess it's just you have a certain level of intensity, obviously, when the pads are on. But maybe you want to make sure you get the teaching points. Make sure your guys are spaced correctly, lined up properly those so was this like out. a five minute like airing out or they kept the pads no, off they took off and, for rest of practice. Off, and they stayed off and they stayed kept off. practicing yeah they stayed interesting off i thought you initially were saying they took them off like as a break and then you know put them back on and got back to practice like, like oh. almost a little intermission no yeah no they took them off uh, for a couple periods so, interesting. The, so so they take the pads off after special teams and they go seven on a, seven on seven um really just a couple plays here outstanding i mean like maybe the best individual play of training camp yet was this interception by Jalen Mills in the end zone. It was red zone seven on seven. It would looked like he was a, he was matched up against Dallas Goddard back in the end zone. And he was running towards the, towards the goalpost and the throw went to the back shoulder. Jalen turned and it wasn't like Odell Beckham, but it was basically like Odell Beckham, no Monday night football with the giants, like backhand grabs the football with one arm and gets both feet in and then takes off uh, down the right side. It was a remarkable play, an awesome play. Jalen runs the length of the field, does a little somersault right in front of the media. So you see the energy and, you know, Jalen Mills, that's, that's Jalen, but like unbelievable play by Jalen Mills. And then a couple of plays later, TJ Edwards uh, gets a leaping interception in the back of the end zone against Nate Sudfeld and, and the defense goes crazy again. So couple of crazy interceptions uh, by the back seven there in the seven-on-seven drill, C-Mac. Yeah, I was going to say, Jalen Mills has looked very comfortable, you know, transitioned nicely to that safety spot there. Nate Gary also had a very nice play in coverage, didn't have an, have an interception, but uh, had a nice pass breakup or de- did a great job defending Greg Ward. I will say on Dallas Goddard, though, right after that Mills interception, Carson Wentz went to Goddard the very next play and got the touchdown. So he made That's sure he said, all yeah. right, you – you want you won this round, but I'm going to win the other one. So, uh, but the linebackers making plays late in practice. You mentioned the T.J. Edwards interception, which was which was great to see there. So, but I think those were really the big highlights. I agree for the seven on seven period. On the interception, Fran running a hundred yards the other way. I just want to know if we got to see Quez Watkins or any of our speedy receivers try to run them down. You know, someone. Uh, no, you know what? It was actually not the next on this one. one. Not, not on this one. This one. <laughs> That's right. So the next period, uh, not to be outdone, eleven on eleven. Um, Duke Riley makes a leaping interception of his own, uh, picking off Nate Sudfeld in the middle of the field. The defense was fired up. Guys were running off the sideline, but a bunch of the offensive players were going after Riley, trying to punch the ball out uh, on Duke Riley. But the defense was like ecstatic for the guys running all over. Uh, all of us, you know, Nate Gary, T.J. Edwards, all those guys were all excited for uh, for Duke Riley. But big play uh, in the middle of the field by both linebackers, T.J. Edwards and uh, Duke Riley making some big plays. The defense just seems like a very tight-knit group. You know, all that on-the-field stuff is great, but we just need to really reflect here on what the undershirts are like after an August practice with your pads on. And then you take the pads off. You ever guard that guy at the YMCA that's just sweating way too much? I can only imagine what that was like that last couple periods of practice there dealing with the undershirts. Listen, the the government, every like major institution in, in the country, in the world, is trying to find different ways to combat the swarm of spotted lanternflies that oh. are plaguing the country. 
So maybe that, that, this was like the Eagles' idea. Like, look, if we all take our pads off at the same time, the odor will just knock out all of the lantern flies uh, in the local area. There were a bunch of them out there today. No wonder the DBs are playing the ball. I'm not touching the receivers in that, in that session. <laughs> they did. They, look, the, uh, I, did my, I felt like I did my part. I, I killed like six or seven lantern flies out there practicing that. No, it was, a, it was a good day. Good, good action. We saw some one-on-ones. We saw some team stuff. Uh, C-Mac, uh, we got a few more days. Uh, what is it? I think we're expecting live tackling on Thursday, so a couple days away, and then we got the weekend, and I think, I think that might be it for, uh, for training camp. Don't say that, but other thing I want to bring up, training camp is a time to be working on the finer details, and sometimes when you're going through practices, things aren't going to click, and you'll have media people watching that will say, like, oh, they, they didn't connect on this, that, and the other. It's because they're trying to work through some things. I thought Carson Wentz really trying to work on the corner red zone fades today with Jalen mm. Rager when they were down in the red zone drills was trying to do it. A couple times felt like he was going for them, just trying to work on, on that arc, that touch, try to get it in there. It's something that, again, this is the time to work on those things. You didn't have the spring reps. You know, it's a rookie you're trying to indoctrinate, a rookie who you're giving some high praise to. With the, We talked about the Julio Jones uh, comparison yesterday. So you're trying to bring along the rook quickly. So they're just trying to take advantage of the reps they have out there on the field. But uh, otherwise, I think you pretty much covered everything else there, Fran. Oh, it, was a, it was a good day, man. Well, guys, uh, appreciate it once again. For, thanks for joining us here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We will, uh, we'll talk to you both tomorrow. Great stuff from both Ben and C-Mac. You could follow on Twitter just like I do at Ben Fennel underscore NFL and at C-Mac Eagles. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on each and every form of social media. But the best way to go on and support this show we're around the corner from football season. The best way to throw us your support is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you leave us a question, I will answer it here on the show. Guess what? We're getting closer and closer to the start of the regular season, which means our weekly episodes with Greg Cosell from NFL Films are that much closer. I know how much you all love those episodes with Greg. And I'll tell you what. I've got a little surprise. We're going to go not once a week starting in the season. We're going to go twice a week starting once we get to the regular season here i've got some i'll go through the whole thing with you here soon on the eagle on the sky podcast fueled by gatorade it's gonna be a lot of fun excited for some of the changes we've got here on the show thanks so much to ben thanks to chris thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on philadelphiaeagles.com all that being said i think that'll do it another show in the books here on the eagle on the sky podcast fueled by gatorade for everybody here at the duffy house i am fran duffy we will talk to you tomorrow